Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, President of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hello and welcome to Israel and You. We've got a great show lined up today. Uh, our special guest is Rabbi Dr. Mark Goldfeder. He's going to be joining us in just a moment. But first off, I want to make a special announcement that the publishing industry has been set back because of the uh, pandemic, but we're just a few weeks out from the release of our new book uh, entitled The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti-Semitism and What We Can Do to Stop It. The book is a clarion call to good people not to remain silent and indifferent as violence against Jews increases across America. There's 16 authors in the book. Jay Sekulow, the chief counsel of the American Center of Law and Justice. Stuart Roth, the senior counsel of the American Center of Law and Justice. Dr. Marlene Warshawski, Yal Halom, the director of education for the U.S. Society of Yad Vashem. Coach Bruce Pearl, coach of Auburn men's basketball. Coach Dale Brown, former LSU basketball coach. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal's coach and a list of just world-class authors that have stood together in this book uh, to stand with the Jewish people in this time of rising anti-Semitism. One of the great characteristics of the human spirit, I believe, is courage. Courage is the stuff of life that adds meaning and significance to our human existence. Albert Camus, the French writer who joined the resistance against the Nazis, echoed this sentiment when he said, If men cannot always make history have a meaning, they can always act so that their own lives have. So by accepting the challenge not to be a bystander in the face of growing anti-Semitism, you honor the memories of the victims of the Holocaust. Defending Jewish people today is an act of remembrance of the past victims of the horrors of anti-Semitism. So Israel Team's book, The Casualty of Contempt, is a book filled with epic and courageous stories and essays by 16 different authors. This will inform you of the heart-wrenching fact that we're seeing in America the same kinds of anti-Jewish rumblings and violence evident in Europe prior to and during the Holocaust. And so part of our mission, Israel team's mission, is to educate good people with a keen awareness of history so they'll be ready to challenge the scourge of anti-Semitism as it blatantly attempts to become mainstream in our generation. Listen to a couple courageous voices from history on the subject of indifference versus courage. I know that the great tragedies of history often fascinate men with approaching horror. Paralyzed, they cannot make up their minds to do anything but wait. So they wait, and one day the Gorgian monster devours them. But I should like to convince you that the spell can be broken, that there is an illusion of weakness, that strength of heart, intelligence, and courage are enough to stop uh, the fate and sometimes reverse it. That's by Albert Camus, who was a, a man that joined the French resistance uh, to defend uh, not only Jews, but uh, Gentile French uh, citizens. During the extermination of six million Jewish men, women, and children in the Holocaust, 
in Hitler's Germany, a particular code was widespread. Those who knew did not talk. Those who did not know did not ask questions. Those who did ask questions received no answers. In this way, the typical German citizen won and defended his ignorance, which seemed to him sufficient justification of his adherence to Nazism. Shutting his mouth, his eyes, and his ears, he built for himself the illusion of not knowing, hence not being an accomplice to the things taking place in front of his very door. That's by a man named Primo Levi, who was a Holocaust survivor. So it's true, all of our lives are meant to have meaning and purpose, and developing the strength of courage in the face of impending evil assuredly adds meaning to a person's very existence. So as president of Israel Team Advocates, I encourage you to pre-order this this book, The Casualty of Contempt. You go to israelteam.org, and you'll be inspired by these 16 authors to be courageous in an indifferent world. So go to israelteam.org to the donate section. And this month, we're offering this new release book for a $50 donation to help us do what we do on college campuses and defending our Jewish friends. So today we have a very special guest on our program, Israel and You, uh, Rabbi Dr. Mark Goldfeder. He's a special counsel for international affairs at the American Center for Law and Justice and the director of the National Jewish Jewish Advocacy Center. He has served as the founding editor of the Cambridge University Press series on law and Judaism, a trustee of the Center for Israel Education, and as outside counsel to multiple religious organizations across various faith groups. Goldfeder has taught law around the country and around the world as senior lecturer at Emory University School of Law and a host of other law schools internationally. He is also co-author of the five treaties, religious organizations, and the law. In his practice, Goldfeder handles anti-Semitism cases around the country. He has worked with local, state, and federal legislatures on measures to support the Jewish community and has defended students, professors, businesses, and nonprofits that were for their support of the Jewish state. He has worked on cases at the International Criminal Court in The Hague and has successfully represented clients, including American and Israeli nonprofits in federal litigation. In 2017, he received the Ofer Averin Stand with Israel Award from Hillel, and in 2018, the John Barkin Israel Advocacy Award from the American Israel Public Affairs Committee in recognition of his work. Goldfeder holds two rabbinic ordinations and two judicial ordinations. He received his JD from NYU School of Law and his LLM and doctorate from Emory University. And you know what? I'm only reading half of his bio. Uh, This is a very special man that has dedicated his life uh, to fight anti-Semitism across the world. So uh, Rabbi Goldfeder, welcome to Israel and you. Yeah, we first met uh, actually at the United Nations a few years back when you were there with the American Center for Law and Justice. There was about 2,500 Jewish students from all over America that joined together uh, to try to bring an understanding of how uh, they could stand together to fight the, the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement of Israel. And uh, you were there as a speaker, you know, offering your help to encourage these students. So I want to I ask you several questions here, uh, Rabbi uh, 
And the first is, why do you think it is, and, and so many people have asked me this question, but why do you think the Jews have been persecuted throughout history? That's a very, very impossible question to answer. Okay. Um, and what, what I'll do is I will turn it over to uh, the late great chief, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. I okay. had the privilege of meeting him uh, during my ordination at Yeshiva University. And he has very famously answered this question in a variety of his books, most notably, The Dignity of Difference. And first, he says, you have to define the problem. Let's be clear. Not liking people because they're different isn't anti-Semitism. That's xenophobia. And criticizing Israel isn't anti-Semitism. That's part of the democratic process. And Israel is a democracy. And as an attorney, especially, I very much respect that. Anti-Semitism is persecuting Jews and denying them the right to exist collectively with the same rights as everyone else. And it's a prejudice that, like a virus, survives by mutation. And what Rabbi Sachs points out is that each time the persecutors of that generation reach for the highest form of justification that they can. So in the Middle Ages, they did it in the name of religion. In post-Enlightenment Europe, they did it in the name of the scientific study of race. Today, they do it in the name of human rights and the question that you're asking, why the Jews? So Rabbi Sachs says one of the main reasons is the cognitive failure of scapegoating. So when bad things happen to a group, you can ask one of two questions. The group can ask one of two questions. Either what did we do wrong or who did this to us? And if you ask what, what did we do wrong, you have the ability to heal and to build. If you instead ask who did this to us, well, then all you're going to do now is look for a scapegoat. And classically, he says, this has been the Jewish people because first they were the most conspicuous non-Christian minority. And today, for example, Israel is the most conspicuous non-Muslim country in the Middle East. And the argument is the same. If we're innocent, the group, then everyone else, the Jews must be guilty. And so they must be destroyed. And that's how, that's how it begins. But you know, anti-Semitism, people sometimes call it the canary in the coal mine of intolerance. Ahmed Shahid, who is the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Religion or Belief, recently published a Human Rights Council report on anti-Semitism. And he wrote, and I'm going to read you his quote because it's very powerful, anti-Semitism, if left unchecked by governments, poses risks not only to Jews, but also to members of other minority communities. Anti-Semitism is toxic to democracy and the mutual respect of citizens and threatens all societies in which it goes unchallenged. But that's very lofty. Rabbi Sachs actually, again, breaks that down very nicely, not in reference to that particular quote, but you know, he, he asked the question, why should anyone else care? You know, If you're not Jewish, what does it have to do with you? The answer mm -hmm. is, especially the way that he frames the problem, anti-Semitism is really about the dignity of difference and the inability of groups to make space for someone who is different. And because we're all different, you know, the hatred of someone different might begin with Jews, but it never, ever ends with the Jews. Jews weren't the only ones who suffered under the Nazis or under Stalin. Um, and that's why we must all fight it together, because anti-Semitism is one of the reliable early warning signs of a threat to freedom, humanity, democracy, and difference. Yeah, I 100% agree with that, with uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And, and, you know, when he said that, it's the uh, the early warning sign of a broader hatred being unleashed in a society. Um, you know, I liken that to the canary in the coal mine, which early miners would bring canaries into their coal mines. They didn't have 
te- the technology and, and sensors to know when you know uh, the gases were being released that could cause them to die. So if the canary stops singing, uh, that would be the warning sign that they needed to flee. And so you know, I really think today, if we were really paying attention as a society uh, to the canary in the coal mine, I, I think, uh, uh, Rabbi, that the, the canary stopped singing, in, in my estimation, and it's a warning sign that a broader hatred, that, that um, you know, this, this deep level of hatred towards the Jewish people, it, like you just said, it never stops with the Jewish people. It, it just uh, increases. The, the Nazis started with the Jews, but the hatred didn't stop with the Jews. They, they murdered probably another five to six million uh, people, people groups, uh, you know, the, the elderly, the, uh, those that were handicapped, they put them to death as well. So in your estimation, I mean, where are we if there was like a time clock, you know, you know midnight being, wow, we're, we're in 1938 again, uh, you know, the, the night of the broken glass, crystal knock. I mean, where, where are we on a time clock of the rise of anti-Semitism right here in America? Well, I, I think that I, I, you know, as much work as there is that needs to be done in fighting anti-Semitism, and there's a lot of work, and I'll, I'll give you some numbers in a minute. I think we are, we're nowhere near, God forbid, the, the, the Holocaust. And I say that because despite the fact that the Overton curve of what you can say in polite society has shifted somewhat towards anti-Semitism the last few years, mm-hmm. there are still red lines that um, the government, for example, will not allow you to cross. And the difference is that in Nazi Germany, it was the government that was doing it. And so I think what we need to really do is sort of clearly define our terms, because I think that the, the way anti-Semitism spreads is in the gray areas. And so, you know, you ask the question, where are we? Let me give you some just some background numbers. Each year since 1979, the Anti-Defamation League published a report that measures the number of anti-Semitic acts in the United States. And in 2017, there were 1,986 incidents, which was a 57% increase over the previous year. And that was the biggest jump since the organization started tracking the numbers. And in 2018, there was a 105% increase in the number of physical assaults on Jewish people, which, as I'm wow. sure you know, included the, the deadliest attack on Jews in the history of U.S. at the Tree of Life Synagogue uh, in Pittsburgh. And right. as I'm sure your yeah. listeners know... Yeah. On, yeah, uh, we'll, you know we'll, uh, we'll talk about the Tree of Life uh, attack on the other side of the break, Mark, but it's, it's a stunning reality that we're living today. And um, we'll discuss this on the other side of the break. Thank you so much for being with us. Hey, this is Aaron Free, and I'm so excited to announce that uh, coming out in the month of January is our new publication, a book entitled The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti-Semitism and What Can Be Done to Stop It. The FBI says that in the last year, there's been a 37% rise of anti-Semitic activity in the United States. And so this book, we confront this issue. And as Christians, we cannot remain silent in the face of growing anti-Semitism on college campuses that are secular and on Christian campuses. And so we're seeing that this rise of anti-Semitism 
It's causing so many of our young evangelical students to turn away from Israel. In the Middle Ages, Jews were persecuted because of their religion. In the 19th and 20th centuries, they were reviled because of their race. Today, Jews are attacked and hated because of their nation-state Israel. Denying Jews the right of self-determination in their own land is the new anti-Semitism. For centuries, anti-Semites have justified their hatred of the Jews. In the Middle Ages, it was religion. During the Holocaust, it was science and the study of race. Jews were seen as not even part of the human race, and they were exterminated. Today, it's human rights. And whenever you hear people proclaim that Jews are not supporting human rights, you are hearing the new anti-Semitism. On college campuses, we're hearing the mantra, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That means that they're trying to ethnically cleanse Israel of all Jews. So this month, we have a special offer for $50. If you go to IsraelTeam.org, and for a donation of $50, we'll mail you an autographed copy of this book. Some of the authors are Jay Sekulow from the American Center for Law and Justice, Stuart Roth from the American Center of Law and Justice, Coach Bruce Pearl from Auburn University, Coach Dale Brown from LSU. So go to IsraelTeam.org, join the fight with us, and we will send you this wonderful new book, The Casualty of Contempt. This is Israel in You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back to Israel in You. Our special guest today is Mark Goldfeder, Rabbi Goldfeder, and we're talking about the rise of anti-Semitism in America. And again, if you would like to pre-order Israel Team's new book, The Casualty of Contempt, you can go now to IsraelTeam.org and go to the donate section. And for a donation of $50 or more this month, we'll send you this brand new book, hot off the press, about the rise of anti-Semitism in America. So, Mark, right before the break, you you were talking about the statistics of the increase of anti-Semitism right here in the United States. And what's happening on college campuses, because a lot of your work has to do with defending Jewish students against anti-Semitism on college campuses. So is there a rise going on in the college world? Unfortunately, the answer is yes. Uh, On campuses around the country, anti-Semitism has become entrenched uh, and systemic. Recent studies show that the number of Jewish students who have experienced anti-Semitism on campus across the United States had spiked to nearly 75%. And these wow. statistics are legitimately terrifying. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of fighting the underlying illnesses that fuel this never-ending hatred. And again, it's true not only because it's simply wrong to be anti-Semitic, but also because as history has shown, anti-Semitism is often just a form of, of gateway racism. So there are a lot of you know, guides and best practices on how to combat anti-Semitism. Some organizations push for more nuanced general education about religion or programming by the benefits of diversity or the urge Jews to take control by taking pride in their heritage. But what I do and what ACLJ focuses on, um, the National Jewish Advocacy Center, is from a policy perspective, I believe that the government has to take steps to stem what is incontrovertible anti-Semitic tide. And that means that state officials and institutions, including educational institutions, they have a responsibility to protect citizens and students from hate and bigotry, and they have to be given the necessary tools to both educate their constituencies about what contemporary anti-Semitism looks like, 
and also to stem those criminal and discriminatory acts that are motivated by anti-Semitism. And now we've gone to the real problem because while anti-Semitic harassment is illegal, without a standard definition of what anti-Semitism includes, that idea is almost meaningless. And that's why uh, what we've been working on doing with numerous state legislatures and university administrators is uh, enacting specific statutes and policies that address anti-Semitic behavior and adopt a definition of anti-Semitism in order to better protect against the kind of discriminatory anti-Semitic harassment. Uh, you know, state laws would obviously affect state schools, but to their credit, a lot of university systems, both public and private, are not waiting to be told that they have to care more and do more for their Jewish students. Um, that that rise in anti-Semitic feeling and behavior, especially on campus, has led several universities, most recently Georgia Tech, to proactively embrace a definition of anti-Semitism, again, to better educate their campus communities and to better protect against uh, illegal anti-Semitic harassment. Yes, yeah, so this new definition uh, is, is called the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, IHRA. And I know you in the American Center, you know, are attempting for, for universities to adopt this new definition of, of what anti-Semitism really is. So why is that so important uh, that they adopt the IHRA's definition? And why is it anti-Semitism is so difficult to define? Well, it's a complicated question. So let me just take a, a step back. Um, sure. Again, you know, we said before, discrimination against Jews has existed from time immemorial. And in, in every generation, people who manifest that bigotry, they use some variant of the same refrain. We don't hate Jews. We just can't stand X. And again, sometimes it's overtly religious. Uh, other times um, it focuses on whatever concrete policy aim is likely to stir up popular support. Sometimes the rationale is self-defense. You know, you go biblically, Pharaoh rationalized enslaving and oppressing the Jewish people by saying, you know, Otherwise, they may become many, and if there's a war, they'll join our enemies. It was about national self-defense. Uh, Thirty centuries later, when Hitler, Yimachimo, came to power, came to power, he said, "The Jews of the world are trying to destroy Germany. German people, defend yourselves." Uh, in every generation, it takes what people will think will, will will create that popular support. And today, you know, it takes the guise of other contemporary concerns, including selective claims of social justice that see only Jews or the Jewish state as worthy of of condemnation. And so, one of the rare unifying themes, though, that emerges from the history of anti-Semitism is the attempt at dehumanization of Jewish people. So, whether Jews are portrayed as uh, malevolently superhuman, like in the protocols of the elders of Zion, controlling everything, or worthlessly subhuman, like in the Nazi ideology, it's easier to hate and to kill something you don't consider human. And so Jews have oftentimes been othered. And so you start to see the problem with defining anti-Semitism is that it really is, like Rabbi Sack said, a mutating virus. You know, your Jews are criticized for being whatever a society hates at that particular moment. The right will call them radicals, the left will call them fundamentalists. They're too liberal, too conservative, too rich, too much of a drain on society, too strong, too weak, too influential, too parasitical. Um, and so how do you how do you define that? A definition that can encompass all these things has to cut through the rationale and it has to focus on actions, what you call a praxeological definition. So for the purposes of finding the right definition to adopt in order to understand anti-Semitic intent in the context of discriminatory conduct claims and to better educate about it, um, we believe that is the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition 
of anti-Semitism, and I'll, I'll explain to you why, and I'll put on my very practical attorney hat to do that. Again, so you see anti-Semitic harassment, we said, on campus is illegal under Title VI. But what does that mean? So well-established Supreme Court precedent says that in order for behavior to cross the line into illegal harassment, it has to be, quote, unquote, objectively offensive, right, in order to fall into the category of uh, discriminatory harassment. So in order to meet an objectively offensive standard, the definition we use to define discriminatory anti-Semitism, that motivational analysis, has to be an objectively well-accepted one. And to that end, it is clear that it has to be the IRA definition. It's the one used by our own federal government, the 31 member countries of the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, all 50 countries except for Russia that are, comprise the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the European Commission, the European Parliament, all EU member states, Serbia, Bahrain, Albania. It's been endorsed by a growing number of world leaders, including the UN Secretary General. It was adopted by a growing number of universities, including NYU, we mentioned Georgia Tech, abroad, including Oxford University, by a variety of intergovernmental agencies, the European Commission Against Racism and Intolerance, or non-governmental agencies, including, for example, the Iraq-based Global Imams Council. So this this is a conduct-based, consensus-driven, international accepted definition of what constitutes problematic and problematic and offensive anti-Semitism, and it is the only only internationally recognized definition of anti-Semitism that there is or ever has been. And it's also, by the way, the, the definition against against which educational institutions in our country are already evaluated by the federal government. And they're affirmatively already required to proactively consider it when they're formulating policies to create safe environments on campus. So instead of waiting for there to be a problem to be held accountable against the standards, universities should use this to better protect their students from discriminatory conduct and discriminatory harassment. And again, the other reason for adopting the IRA definition, and now I'll shift more into the states, is because it has considerable importance as an educational tool. And that should be entirely uncontroversial. You know, when, when Florida legislature passed an anti-Semitism bill in 2019, the signing statements that they gave made it clear why the legislators felt that it was important. Governor DeSantis said he was, and I'm quoting now, proud to sign the bill to make clear through a bipartisan effort that anti-Semitism has no place in our state and our educational institutions will not tolerate discrimination against the Jewish people. It sends an unambiguous message. Laws like this do two things, I should say. First, they remove any ambiguity as to what the state's definition of problematic discrimination would be. It puts everyone on notice because it demarcates the limits of acceptable behavior. And second, again, laws always serve a channeling function. Right? They reinforce social norms. Anti-Semitism is wrong whether or not the legislature takes the time to restate that clearly and define it. But when they do take the time and restate it clearly and define it, people do notice and they possibly reflect on that. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful to God, uh, Rabbi, that you're involved in this. You were a sterling leader and um you know defending your people and the the church i mean we're we're standing with you there's gentile people just like in during the holocaust there was the righteous from the nations that w rescued jews uh during those dark days and my prayer is that uh christian people in our generation will rise to the same occasion to stand with our jewish friends and i was listening to a a talk the other day by Franklin Littell, and he said that the Nazis rationalized and moralized uh, the, 
the extermination of the Jews and 11 of the 14 uh, leaders that came up with the final solution, they were medical doctors. And so we, we pray for the Jewish people today that we stand with them and uh, we, that we would protect them. And so thank you so much, Rabbi, for being with us today. Thank you for having me and for all that you do. Thank you. We'll see you next week.